Well, hey, Northside family, it's great to be able to come into your living room or your car, uh, your smartphone, laptop, wherever you are. We're so glad to be able to have this opportunity to come and share in the worship time together right now. And we continue in our series, uh, Understanding the Echoes of Eternity. Uh, if you were with us last weekend, we talked about Ecclesiastes and, and that uh, the wisdom that comes there, struggling with the meaning of life. This weekend, we talked about Job and understand how uh, the suffering in life can really be a difficult thing, and how in the world do we begin to navigate that? So we're glad that you're here with us. I saw this morning on the news before uh, coming in for this, uh, Major League Baseball getting ready to try to come back. We'll see how that all works out. Uh, They came up with an idea that I really didn't know what they were going to do about, but they're saying now that they're going to, with no fans there, be able to have some uh, soundtracks from before, uh, uh, last season and things like that, of the crowd all going on. And I thought, you know, we probably should have thought of that here with uh, preaching to kind of the emptiness here in the, uh, the time of recording the message. And I thought, well, what kind of a track would you have? Would you have maybe an amen come back here or there or a chuckle here or there where you're trying to be a, a little bit funny uh, or a little bit of encouragement from the crowd or maybe, to be honest, once in a while... <laughs> few people might fall asleep, you know. You'd have to be true about all that. And I I wonder how they're going to do that. A few years ago, Nathan and I had a chance to go to a couple of ball games, just a little father and son trip. And we went to, uh, our first night was Cleveland, caught a ball game there. And then we went on to Pittsburgh and caught a pirate game. On the way home, we were going to catch the Reds, but those things are more expensive than I remembered. So we just stopped at Skyline Chili and called it a memory, came on home. But the thing of the Pittsburgh game was they had figured out a lot of that music in the background that you usually love at a sporting event, uh, you know, not just the bump, 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 and then charge and all that kind of a thing. But the Pirates were down by three runs towards the, the end of the game. All of a sudden, they got a couple of runners on base. A guy comes up, and he hits one off the wall, gets, gets a double. So now they're only behind by one. But the guy running the sound, as soon as the, the fella hit the double, popped up in a little pop-up slide, hits a song out of Nathan's era, whoop, there it is. And I thought, man, that's the perfect song to unite the crowd. Next pitch, the guy hits a single uh, right up the middle. The run scores, it's tied up, and they play a song out of my era from 1971, uh, All Right Now, Baby, It's All Right Now. And I thought, man, that would be a fun job. Now, if we had to look at last week and say, what would be the soundtrack? You'd, you'd really be hard to be hard-pressed to find a better song than U2 and Bono on Still Haven't Found What I'm Looking For. But this weekend, This weekend, as we tackle the difficult topic of grief and suffering and and the life of Job and to see how he had to navigate all of this, I I think it would really be hard. I I probably would lean with a song called Love Hurts. Uh, I think love hurts, love scars, love wounds, love mars. Not tough enough, not strong enough to take a lot of pain, take a lot of pain. Uh, Love is like a cloud. It's just all full of rain. Love hurts. Ooh, love hurts. You see, when we love and when we care deeply and we are blessed, when there's a loss in our life, even if it's small, but especially when it's huge, and Job's loss was off the charts, it has a tendency to just wreck our life, has a tendency to just shake things to we. We don't know really what is left, and our our faith is tested during that time. So as we dive in these echoes of eternity, I I would pretty well call it Job and his patience and prayers. 
I want to look at a passage and a point and a question, and that'll kind of be the pattern that we'll go through today as we look at this. Now, in the first passage, they'll mostly be just references. We'll see a few scriptures, but most today will just be references. So if you have a Bible, you can dive right in in the book of Job. In the first five verses, here's what basically happens. It mentions there's a guy named Job. He's blameless. He has a great heart for God, and he's grateful for everything he has, and he's very wealthy, very rich, and he has a family, and they come on over. His sons come, and they fix dinner. His daughters come on over, and, and they have a, a, a feast and a big celebration ever so often, just one big family reunion time after time. And the Bible says that he has this wonderful moment with them after, uh, not after they have the great time together, he has this wonderful moment with God where he offers a burnt offering for each of his kids. And this is the father's heart that you just don't get to hear and see too often. So he takes a moment and he prays for each of his kids after they've been here. And it's a prayer about uh, God if they have sinned secretly in their heart. I just want to lift them up to you and I want to pray for them. I kind of want to intercede for them and put them before you. See, this type of a heart, of a shepherd's heart, a father's heart, God always blesses. And that's what's found in the first five verses. Now, the point of that, as we begin making points and asking questions, my point would simply be this, the blessings of God can bring out the best in us. I mean, when God is blessing us and we, we feel his presence in such a great way, it seems like all is well. We're, gonna, we're feeling good about what has happened, what is happening, and have great hopes for the future. And it can bring out the best in us. But I want to ask a question because I've always been intrigued by this idea of Job going beyond what would just say, God, please bless my kids. His heart was one that cared so deeply and trusted so monumentally in God that after the blessing, after the wonderful time, he just took a moment and what the Bible would say is to do a burnt offering or what I'll do is just simply today light a candle. And a candle that would maybe represent the prayer saying, God, please watch over my kids. This is the heart that Job had. To understand his faith, to understand his struggle, and understand all the suffering, you have to understand his faith and his love and his, his joy that he had with God. Now, the question comes about, do we consistently pray for the secret lives of those near and dear to us? And I would just lay that out there for us. I've had to look at this this week and just say, God, is my heart growing for those close to me? Am I lifting them up to you? Not just in a quick way, not in a kind of a, a, a remote control kind of way. Okay, God, here's the list. But lifting individually and specifically trusting God to work in their heart and their life. And not just kids, all family and for even beyond that. When we begin to do that, then we begin to have this heart that Job had. Now, the second passage actually kind of comes in a dual form. There's two of them. Now it begins to get more of the story. In the second pair of passages, in chapter 1, verses 6 through 22, it talks about the loss of wealth and family for Job. Now, you, you, if you've heard the story before, you know that it says that the devil and God begin to talk and God kind of brags about uh, uh, Job and he says, hey, have you seen my servant Job? He's incredible. 
And the devil talks back and he says, yeah, it's because you bless him so much. You pull his blessings and he's going to curse you to your face. It's all about the blessing. You see, the accuser, Satan, that's who he is. That's what he's doing right now about you and me. We have to understand that spiritual warfare and that battle that we are in. God seems to just say, you know what? Let's find out what he's all about. And this is that moment that we say, no, God, don't do that to us. Please don't have any conversation with the devil. Don't give him any more rope than he already has. But he trusted the character in the heart of Job. After that, tragedy struck. God allowed the devil to take some things from him. Not, not his, his health or life at, at that point, of course, but his wealth and his family. And one by one, a messenger comes and talks about how all of his land is just torn apart through a storm. How uh, his, his flocks and herds, all of his wealth are all gone now. And how a terrible storm comes and kills his children. And, and he has nothing. And he... He is just torn apart, and, and that's where Job's response is. A famous phrase, you might remember and have heard it preached on or quoted, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will return to the earth. The Lord gives, help me out, and the Lord takes away. And then he defines the moment, blessed be the name of the Lord. And the Bible says, verse 22, that in all of that suffering, Job did not sin, and he did not blame God. Well, the devil's not done with him. In chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, what happens is there's more devil talk and more tragedy about to come. And God allows him to uh, make Job sick. And the loss of health and what I would call marital support, let's explain that a little bit. Uh, the, the devil decides he's going to, to uh, hurt Job in this way where he has boils uh, on his body from the top of his head to the bottoms of his feet. And, and the Bible says that the only way he could really get any kind of relief was uh, some broken pottery and just to scrape that and, and just, just a little bit of easing the pain and, and, and uh, uh, all the tension and the infection kind of running out of you, just a terrible but that was the only relief that he really had. And in the midst of that type of suffering, his wife who had gone with him through this whole thing, she had suffered as well. But now she sees the, the husband uh, that she loves going through all this and she doesn't spiritually get it. Her faith just hits the ceiling and can't go any farther. And she says, Job, just give up. Just curse God and die. Get this over with. Because this, this, isn't, this isn't what you signed up for, isn't what I signed up for. I don't know how we're going to get out of this. And he suffers a whole other loss. Now the point of that, if I could try to make that, is I believe the permissive will of God, the will of God that allows, doesn't always cause, but allows to happen in life, tests us when bad things happen. When bad things happen to good people, when good things happen to bad people, none of us can make a lot of sense of either one of those things. But to understand that permissive will of God, that he has the right to do that, and the question that will define our heart and life is this. Can we respond to our losses as they come in life with grief and a holy respect for the sovereignty of God. That is not easy. And if we had a moment to grab a cup of coffee and talk, I could share with you 
some of the things that have been very hard, devastating in my life, and I could hear the devastation in yours and the moments that you, you would have felt where was God when all of this happened? And, and after over 20 years here as Northside, as my spiritual family, I've seen a lot of folks who have weathered those storms. Uh, we've caught a lot of tears together. And you've seen folks close to you and you ache. Their, their ache in their heart is right there with yours. And just as God, as Job said, did give, the Lord also allows be taken away. And that is hard. And that is when our faith comes to the surface and is in the light and examined for who we are, what we believe. Uh, I, I love the song we used to sing, oh goodness, 10 or 15 years ago here. Uh, great worship song based on the story of Job. I think it was written by Matt Redman, great worship uh, person, great songwriter. And it talks about the blessed be the name of the Lord. And the verses are simply blessed be the name of the Lord when everything's good and everything's plenty and all things are fine. But, but then it comes to kind of two little choruses, an A chorus and a B chorus, and then a bridge later on. And those are the lyrics you want to take a moment just to, to, to think about along with me, if you would. When it comes to that, after acknowledging God's in the good and all that, he then says, every blessing you pour out. I'll turn back to praise. Isn't that a great image? Everything, God, you give me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye, heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Every blessing you pour out comes from your hand. I'm going to give it back. I'm going to turn it back and give you praise for that. Then the chorus says, when the darkness closes in. When all those blessings don't come, still I will say, blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be your glorious name. Now here's the bridge in the song. Just a little, little piece. Without this little bridge here, it wouldn't completely make sense. You give and take away. You give and take away. And then the defining moment, my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Now, I don't know if you're going through a time, I, I know some of us are. Some of us always are, and next week it'll be someone else. And, and we seem to take turns, and sometimes there's just devastation in front of us all the time. But that understanding of turning back to praise the blessings that he gives, trusting him, honoring him, and even when that which is dear to us or that who is dear to us is taken away, we still praise the name of God. And that's not easy, but that's the test and that's the story and that's the challenge of navigating the suffering in the life of Job. Now, the next passage is a long passage and you'll see as the reference comes on the screen why we didn't put that up there. A lot happens all the way from Job 1 and chapter 2 through verse 10. But chapter 2, verse 11, all the way through the end of chapter 37, almost 35 chapters there, are Job's friends parading back and forth, taking turns, giving a little bit of a speech, and it's recorded in what literary terms would be called very dense Hebrew poetry. It's just 
very thick with imagery and all that and a lot of theology. And they all are, are saying, you know, if God is just, and we believe he is, and if, if he continues to have the world operate with the law of justice, then this doesn't make sense unless, Job, you got a couple of hidden things in your life that, you know, we don't know about and we don't need to pry, but we're just saying it's probably your fault. And they take their turns coming back and coming back and revisiting that again. And Job is saying, to the best of my knowledge, I haven't done anything wrong. I trust God, but I, I, I don't know why this has happened to me. And now he's in such a point of such physical pain. He, he's not even recognizable hardly. And yet they keep coming and he keeps responding. They come back and he responds again. I heard while I was in seminary getting a master's in practical theology, I needed, knew I needed to have as much practical as I could get. I remember one fellow was talking, the professor that day, he said, let's take a look at how we care about people from a pastoral call standpoint in the life of the church. He said, take a look at Job's friends and do everything except what they did. He said, first of all, they waited too long to go. They stayed too long and they talked too much when they got there. Apart from that, it was a wonderful pastoral call by all of them. And he, he ingrained in our mind how important it really was to be able to care and to be honest and to be supportive in the midst of that. And these fellows are trying to do that. Now, here's the point in the midst of all of that rhetoric, all that discussion and all that defense of Job even saying, I really, I don't think I've done anything wrong. I don't think I'm being punished, but I don't know why this is happening either. The point is, sometimes we tend to question God when we feel overwhelmed and allow our friend's limited perspective to influence us. So we got to be careful who we listen to. We have to be careful where, where a view of God that might be out there that somebody may think, and well, I've always thought that, and, and it's really not steeped in the, the character and the truth of the Word of God. We can't let that random, twisted theology shape us and mess with our emotions. And sometimes we do tend to, to say, God, I, I, I'm not sure why that happened. Please answer this question with me, if you will. Because all of us have to. The question is, is there a difference between asking God questions and questioning God? In other words, when we go through a loss, or we go through a very difficult childhood, or we have all sorts of things that just unravel in our life. The loss of a family member, loss of a job, loss of a spouse, divorce, whatever it might be. Do we say, God, I don't understand this. Help me to learn. See, God can handle all those questions, but I believe there's a difference between asking God questions. Hebrews 11, 6 simply says that, that if you come to God, you have to believe that he exists and that he rewards those who diligently seek him. It's impossible to please God if you don't believe in him. So if you don't believe in him, you know, you're not going to be talking to him anyway. This might be the opportunity to open that door and say, God, you got my attention I got some questions, but sometimes in life, folks tend to just be content to question God. Now, at this point, I want to move ahead just for a moment in the, in the New Testament, and here's some of the words of Jesus 
as he talks about gaining perspective and how important that is for us. Because as we navigate suffering in life, we've, we've got to have his perspective. Here's what Jesus said in John 8. He's talking in verse 37, talking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. And they're saying, well, we're descendants of Abraham. You can't tell us anything. We're bona fide. We're untouchable. And he says, yes, I realize you're descendants of Abraham. And yet some of you are trying to kill me. And then he says, why? Here he says why they were rejecting him as the Messiah that he was. Because there's no room in your hearts for my message. Their hearts were filled with religion and all sorts of explanations about God. But when they heard and saw the teachings and the miracles of Jesus, they didn't want any part of that because he was going to take control of the religion that they owned. They owned the town. They owned the nation. They didn't need his help. And he says, there's no room in your heart for the truth that I bring. And sometimes in our midst of grief and suffering, our hearts will feel so full of disappointment and heartbreak. We have to make sure there's always enough room for Jesus to speak into us. He talks to the Pharisees again in John chapter 7, verse 24. And he says, if you're going to make a judgment, you have to look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. They, they were always looking at the outside of things and they didn't look for the deeper thing. And sometimes in, in the loss of our heart and the breaking of our heart, the devastation of our lives, we have to look below the surface and say, God, what are you allowing to happen? How are you going to help me through this? I know you will. I know that you're going to care for me, but I've got to look beneath just what I can see running on the top. In Matthew 16, Jesus even turned to Peter. This wasn't the Pharisees. No, Peter, he's just acknowledged you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Give me my gold star. And all of a sudden he, he begins to say, yeah, but, but uh, let me tell you what else, Jesus. Not only are you the man, but I'm not going to let anything bad happen to you. And he starts discipling Jesus. Never a good idea. Jesus turned to Peter and he said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. My tendency in life when I go through a very difficult time or time of suffering is to just look and see from my vantage point, okay, what does this mean now? And Jesus says we can't be content with just a human point of view. We have to have God's. We have to hear his perspective. I've mentioned him a lot through my, my years here, but good friend John Walker heads up Blessing Ranch and his, do, his daughter Charity Walker, both are PhDs. They have a book that's coming out now called Unhindered. And I, I ran some of these thoughts by John this week. He said, uh, you've helped so many people, John, through the years, so many uh, Christian leaders as a counselor in Blessing Ranch ministry. Help me think through this Job thing. And, and he said, well, there's one thing we do in the week that we spend in an intensive model of counseling with folks. And he says, Charity and I both call it the nevertheless principle. 
He says there has to come a time as you let the, the, the heaviness of life weigh upon you and, and you take those things in and you try to get your head around it, get God's perspective and, and, and look through his eyes and his lens of what's going on. And, and honestly, in your own humanity, feel the feelings, grieve the things you've lost. He says, but there has to be what charity and I call a nevertheless moment. It's our nevertheless principle, he says. There has to be this moment that, that we say, okay, okay, our hearts are broken, we're, we're crushed in our spirits, we don't know what's going to happen, but still, still, you give and take away, you give and take away, my heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. There has to be this moment. And I want to encourage you right now today, even in the midst of what's going on in your life in this weekend to say, God, I may not be at this point. I may know somebody who's going through this right now, or it may be my turn before too long. Please help my faith to grow my heart, my trust, my understanding. Help me to bond with your word, your spirit, and your people to the point that I will define my life with a nevertheless moment. Nevertheless, God is good. Because that's always the question. How could a good God allow that? How could a good God who is all about justice permit some of these things to go on? And in all of this conversation that goes on, it leads up to Job actually saying, God, I want to talk to you now. I demand an audience. I've kind of heard enough from my friends that I can realize I got to talk straight to you. And as he has the nevertheless moment, I trust you, God, but I got to hear from you. It takes us to the final passage. And in the final passage of Job 38, the first verse all the way through the end of the book, chapter 42, verse 16, what happens in there, Job does demand the response. He says, God, I got to have you show up. Well, God doesn't say anything until all of a sudden amidst a whirlwind and here comes God and he is ready to talk and he is going to give Job a mouthful and a headful to think about. And he begins by saying, okay, who is this that's calling me into account here? Who is this that is talking that you really don't have a complete perspective? And then he lights into him and he says, where were you? Where were you, Job, when I was architecting the world and I was creating the universe? And he goes into this virtual tour of all the world and the cosmos of what was going on. Where were you when all of that was happening? And Job understands after a couple of chapters of listening to God, detail by detail of all the intricacies and complexities and the beauty and the wonder of this incredible creation that is a little marred by sin. That's a little dangerous, but it's awesome and incredible and beautiful. Job finally gets to the point and says, I get it. <laughs> your, your ways are higher than mine. Your thoughts are higher than mine. I'm sorry. And Job humbles himself before God. Now, at that point, God's ready to become gracious to him again. And my final point is simply this. The grace of God. God's amazing grace in our life can restore us if we remain humble and grateful and fully engaged with him. See, it doesn't matter what you've been through. He's been with you the, the whole way and is sustaining you even if you feel all alone. 
But this next verse, as he winds down in chapter 42, I want you to hold on to this because every time I'll preach on something next, and I have talked about it before, there's something I either have missed or I just desperately need to be reminded of. And this 42 verse 10 is the one for me. Because here's what God says. He says, Job, I want you to pray for your friends. You've had your kids and you prayed for them and, and okay, they are no more, but your friends, you probably want to dismiss these yahoos and just say, listen, you didn't reflect the heart of God to me. You didn't reflect real deep spiritual truth. You kind of, kind of made my faith erode a little bit. You didn't help prop me up. You, you just accused me and then just kind of looked at me funny. Here's what God says. He says, first of all, Job, you pray for your friends. He says, you light their hearts up to me. And notice what happens in verse 10. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. Before we finish it, I know we're a long ways away, but please say this with me wherever you are. When Job prayed for his friends, the Lord restored his fortunes. In fact, the Lord gave him twice as much as before. See, God wants to bless. He wants to overwhelm you with his love and his presence and his blessing. But there's something that captured my heart that I have to be reminded one more time, it's not just about me. It's not just about me and mine. God wants the world to come to faith, even if they're a little off. And when Job prayed for those who didn't necessarily support him, all of a sudden, God brings them all back. Now the final question is this, will our posture be prayerful or prideful. It would have been the easiest thing for Job to just say, okay, God, me and you. Okay, we'll let everybody else fend for themselves. But just as Jesus's heart on the cross said, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. God was putting that same thought, that same discipline for Job to return to of prayer for those who needed God so God could restore. Now, right now is our time of communion. And I love this time of communion, and I, I, I know perhaps you've already got ready, but take a moment if you haven't, whether it's juice and crackers to remind us of the body and the blood of Christ. This whole idea of restoring, that, that's what this, this moment, this celebration of the Lord's Supper is all about. It was a celebration in the Old Testament for Jewish believers to say, God took us out of Exodus with a mighty hand and there were a few plagues, but he got us out and we're free. But let me tell you, on that night that we had the Passover, we were spared. And there was blood on the doorpost for them to look and to realize that's what it's going to take someday for the Israelite people to be spared, the blood of a lamb. And now symbolically the blood of Jesus Christ on a blood-stained, old, rugged cross, we remember that he paid that sacrifice. He took that punishment 
so we could be forgiven. So I want to ask you to pray with me now and hold on. Hold on to the hope that we have. Hold on to the recovery, the restoration God wants to have in your heart and life right now. The the reminder of the forgiveness that only comes through Christ. And please hang on for the song after we celebrate the Lord's Supper. You don't want to miss that blessing. Let's bow. Father, I ask your blessing right now on your people. I ask as we come before you now to help us humble our hearts, to walk with you, to listen to you, and now examine our hearts because of what Jesus did on the cross. We thank you so much for his great love and your great patience in your presence. May we receive all that you want us to have right now as we spend time with you. And as we listen to this song, we let it just flood over our heart and our soul. Please restore us as you restored Job. Please take us wherever we are, God, and and remind us that we can never be apart from you. Help us to feel your presence and your love once again is our prayer in Jesus' name.